Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to come together to hear your truth, to study your word, to get into the facts so that we can walk circumspectly, that we can walk according to the gospel and not what we think about the gospel. We thank you for your spirit, your Holy Spirit, discerning spirit, the spirit of truth that shows us what's right and what's wrong. Help us see how we carry ourselves and walk, ensuring that we walk according to the truth and not according to how we feel. We give you the glory and the honor. In your name, Christ, Yahushua, we pray. Amen. So I want to tell you uh, something very important as believers, as followers of Christ, and that is do not run in vain. Do not run this race in vain. There has been many people, as the Apostle Paul said, have fallen away from the gospel. They once stood on the truth. They once believed in the truth, but through deception, through manipulation, gratifying the flesh, they have fallen away from the absolute truth. And this is not a surprise. It was nothing that was kind of hit people off guard. This is actually something that before Christ finished his ministry, he told us it was going to take place. He said these things will come. In Matthew 24, before he gives the very detailed description of the sequence of events that would occur, he told them first and foremost, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. We are living in that season. We are living in the season that he spoke of uh, because he told us that when these signs happen, the earthquakes, the rumors of wars, pestilence, famines, that there will be deception among the believers. Many people think the deception occurs of with those people of the world. But yet when Christ was warning his disciples, he was not speaking of those of the world. He was talking to them on the Mount of Olives and telling them, first and foremost, be on guard, be watchful, keep your eyes in the right place, keep your heart in the right place. And because many have refused to obey, adhere to the truth, they have been deceived by the enemy. They've been tricked. And this is why many Christians today believe in things such as voting, protesting, rallying. It's not that they desire to really change society or help those kids out there that are suffering from gender crisis or uh, the child abortion that we see happening. At the end of the day, it's really about the desire to fulfill the flesh, to enjoy one's television shows, outing events, family gatherings, and different things that appeases self and does not worship the Father. Uh, something as traditional as sports, one of the biggest things that is done throughout society, especially uh, in America, is everyone has a favorite sports team. And because many people do it, and there is nothing in Scripture that says do not do it, it's a justifiable act for a lot of people. Under the false idea that grace will is okay for you to live this, live outside of his will. But the truth is, when we look at the life of Christ, and his apostles, those who he sent forth to first create disciples after his departure, his ascension back to heaven. Their lifestyle was consistent with what Christ did. They walked circumspectly. They didn't entangle themselves in the, the affairs of this world. Their eyes stayed on Christ, and their concern was ensuring that those who do not know the gospel, if they are drawn to them, by God, which is ultimately being drawn to them, being drawn to Christ, that they would 
be present mentally, spiritually, emotionally, financially to preach the gospel, to give the unadulterated truth. So when they are baptized and they receive the Holy Spirit, they can lead them according to the gospel, not according to some theologian's perspective, uh, not according to a biblical scholar, but what the Bible says and how Christ laid the foundation of faith. As the Bible says, he's the author and finisher of our faith, meaning nothing uh, should come, no, no type of doctrine should exist beyond what Christ established because he completed what we ought to do, how we ought to carry ourselves. Uh, this is why the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is not what you hear in most church institutions today. You hear, if you just only speak to yourself, you will become a better person. If you're dealing with depression and you need some type of relief, show up for our yoga class on Saturday at 7 a.m. Or if you are challenged with your children or your kids, let's do some family therapy. And these are people typically who haven't been baptized, who doesn't follow discipleship, who lives any kind of way outside of the church institution. But when they come to the church, they're looking to see, receive some type of support, healing, or some way to overcome their adversity. But yet, when you look at what Paul told the, the people in Corinthians, he, he simply said that you ought to hold on to the gospel, hold on to the truth, stand on the truth. He said, even you, when you do this, you are saved. He said, if you don't, you believed in vain. You know, I've had a lot of discussions in these recent days with individuals regarding the voting for the House, uh, midterm elections. And there is so much frustration because I told them uh, that a Christian who votes is a Christian that's conformed to the world. And the reason why I can validly say this, not because there is a particular scripture that says such, or because there is uh, some type of a teaching that forbids it, but because the life that Christ lived and his disciples lived demonstrated that they did not involve themselves in the policies or political affairs of society. Their focus was on the souls and the edification of the church, those souls who were lost and the souls of those who were found, that those who were lost would come into the faith and those who are found will not find themselves walking backwards backslidden and living outside of the will, finding themselves believing for no reason at all. There's a frustration that exists in a lot of believers today because their self, they're, they're, inside of them, there's a conviction that's going on. They know the truth, they see the truth, but the truth doesn't align with what they want to do. And even though they look like a believer, they look like a Christian, they look as if they walk as we walk or they're part of the faith. We have to understand that this is not true. And this keeps us from becoming frustrated, if you will, or upset, or sometimes even overwhelmed because we are trying to speak to people who don't understand what's being said. Right now, we are living in the time of the harvest. 
And Christ talked about this in Matthew 13, when he describes the tares and the wheat. In verse 24, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed seed in the field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then these then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, do you did you not sow good seed in the field? How is it how then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. Then the servants said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? And he said to them, No, lest while you gather the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat until my barn. Now Christ explains this parable. He goes on and he talks about what this parable is about. Um, but before he talks about it, one thing that really stood out to me was he said, gather the wheat into the barn. Now inside the barn, when you look at if you're looking at a field, the barn was the place to keep things dry, keep them from being uh, burned by the sun. They were they're pretty much they're ripe. It's ready to get the wheat out of the field and you take them to a place of protection. This, to me, is a very important piece in this parable, because a lot of believers are walking around terrified because they believe that when things are going to get as bad as the Bible say that they're going to be devoured. They're going to be ate up. They don't know how to make it. And this is what leads them to doomsday prepping and making sure their finances is set up to where they can afford a big house or whatever the case may be. A lot of land and fish and food and stocks, piles of survival stuff. But Christ is saying that he's going to actually take the wheat out of the field and put them in a place of protection. And when we go to verse 36, he goes on to explain the parable then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, explained to us the parable of the tares in the field. And he answered and said unto them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The, the field is the world, but the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sold them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. There. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out the angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be welling and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has an ear, let him hear. Now, I love when Jesus says this. I love when Christ says this because he's telling us, he's talking to the disciples and he tells them, he who has an ear, let him hear. He's not talking to the, the multitudes anymore. They went into a secluded place. They went into a house so he can give them the understanding of the parable, breaking down the truth to them. And he's telling them, if you have an ear, listen to what I'm saying. Again, this is why so many Christians are deceived because they honestly believe that the tares is simply those of the world. And he's not saying that. The tares are people in the world, but that necessarily doesn't mean there's someone who doesn't know about Christ. They don't know about church, worship, uh, taking care of the, wild, the widows and the 
uh, orphans. He's talking to his disciples. Why would he warn the disciples if the disciples were already locked into heaven because they believed that Christ was the Messiah? They believed that he died and rose again. He's talking to a people who need to understand that in Matthew 24, in Matthew 24, uh, verse 13, Christ said, but he who preserves to the end will be saved. The end of the harvest, not any time before the harvest, the end of the harvest or obviously the end of your life. Because when he was talking to these disciples, they were obviously were living at a time uh, that's not the end of the age. This was before they uh, passed away. So he's speaking to all people who come into this faith, saying, listen to this parable. There are wheat and there are tares, and they're both together. They both are around each other. They're the same. They're, they're, they look the same. If you ever look at a tear and a wheat, from a distance, it's almost impossible to tell which one is which. You have to get close, and you got to know what you're looking at. But it takes studying. It takes knowing the truth. And in this life of being in the Spirit, walking with the Holy Spirit, it takes his discernment to tell us that is a tear. That is not a wheat. You don't invest your time in a tear. You, 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 don't, you cannot convert a tear. A tear takes spiritual, supernatural transformation that can only be done by God. Our job is simply to do as the sower and plant the seed. But no matter how much we plant the seed or what we say, some people will simply decide to be tares. There will be, there's nothing you can do about that. Because when you look at the book of Revelations, he says, in the book of Revelation, it tells us that after all the plagues that were released on the land, he said, the rest of mankind that didn't die refused to repent. So it, it's, it's, it, that's, that's simply how it is. And that's a tough thing to say. A lot of people say, well, you're not God. You don't know. You can't just say that. And you're right. I'm not. But I can repeat what he said. And it is the truth. This is the reason why Jesus tells us not to cast our pearls among swine. Or do not give what's sacred to dogs. Because if you do that, the Bible says that they're going to trample you. They're going to step on you and tear you to pieces because they don't understand truth. And you're trying to give somebody who has a pig or a dog mentality a precious truth, especially when it conflicts with their own desires and what they want. They're coming after you. So there's a there's a understanding that needs to exist between or in the mindset of those who follow the Messiah and realize that we can end up running this race in vain. If This is why Paul tells us that we ought to continue to watch how we carry ourselves, what we do. I can tell you for the time that's coming ahead, a lot of Christians aren't ready for what is up. A lot of Christians are not ready for what's coming. I know that sounds kind of dark and, and, and grim, but the truth is they're not because they're so caught up in politics and you know what's going on in the world of sports. You know, the, the stuff that's going on in society, he's they're more concerned about that rather than drawing close to Christ and his word, getting involved in building a relationship with him more, walking in the spirit and not the flesh. When we look at when Christ went into the wilderness, the Bible says that he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan. He wasn't led in there with some higher level thinking of self. He didn't go in the wilderness with a very wealthy bank account or a, a, a strong connection with people. He went in there by himself with no, no food to eat 
to, to end up fighting against the enemy. But those 40 days of fasting prepared him to do battle with Satan. He drew closer to God and he was ready to stand on the truth. You know, for a lot of Christians, I, I see that they have their tactics off when it comes to fighting the enemy. We come up against a, a battle. Satan gets the opportunity to test us and we drop to a knee and pray in the middle of a fight. And we wonder why we never win because our tactic is not on point. What Christ did is he prayed and fasted to prepare himself for the war of words with the enemy. And when he, when it was time to do battle, he used the word of God. He didn't seek any help or any type of situation that he can, you know, build his mind up. He didn't go into a closet and empty his brain and started meditating on yoga music. What he did was he spoke the truth in the middle of the fight and he was able to stand and come out victorious. This is how we do battle and this is how we prepare ourselves for battle. There is much more deception coming. What happened in 2020 is not, not even going to compare to what's coming. I don't know if you've all done your research and looked at how after people took the solution, the, the, I mean, people are, people are dying all over the place. Just the media is not talking about it. And they took the solution, but later on found out that it was never tested for what they said it was supposed to prevent people from. So that's deception. And the reason being, the reason why so many people were deceived, and I'm not talking about the world because the world is not supposed to know the truth. There's no way to know the truth until you come into the truth, which is Christ. I'm not talking about the church people who said they believe in the true and living God. They believe that his son rose from the dead. They've read and heard the stories of the woman with the issue of blood and was healed. The blind man receiving his sight. The dead people raising back up again but still went out and out of fear of loss of whatever the loss may be, life, comfort, family, friends, acceptance in society. They went out and by deception, followed man and ended up got, being deceived in the end. If we want to not run this race in vain and we want to walk through the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then we need to draw close to the Messiah and we need to stop playing around and acting like we believe when when they told Laz they told when they told the Messiah that Lazarus has died, he wasn't concerned about it one bit. They they thought he was going to take off running because Lazarus was his friend, but he kept doing what he was doing because he already knew how the situation was going to turn out. And what I love about when the when he finally showed up four days later, and everybody's crying and weeping, and he was he started crying because he saw how much they lacked faith. But before he tells Lazarus to rise, he says, he looks up to God and said, he, he said, you hear me? He said, I know you always hear me. I mean, Christ always have a relationship with him. He wasn't waiting on Sunday. He wasn't waiting on Wednesday night Bible study or to connect with somebody to cover some scriptures. He communed with God daily throughout the day. He was, he studied and knew if, if you put him in the place of a person who really cares, he about the word and their relationship with God, he was he was diligent in knowing him, diligent in walking with him. So when that time came to do what he was sent to do, there was no question whether or not he couldn't do it. He didn't drop to a knee at Lazarus' bedside and say, I'm gonna pray that you come up out of this situation. He spoke and it happened. He spoke the truth. So I, I wanna tell you that we need to prepare ourselves as believers according to the scripture. It's not about living in fear. It's not about being worried or 
stressed out, if we know the truth and we live according to the truth, then the last thing that should even concern us is doubt or fear, anxiety. Oh, that's the work of the enemy. And the only reason why he could come in and do what he do, because we opened up that door and that door was open because of disobedience. I was telling a gentleman the other day about how voting has no place among a believer. And he says, well, what happens if they make your kids go back to school? You know, they outlaw homeschooling. I didn't even entertain that question because that's not a concern of mine. My concern is doing what God has called me to do. Since the day he created man until this present time, God has kept his promises. His prophecies have been fulfilled in the Old Testament. His truth continues to spread around the world as he said it will. Why now all of a sudden God just going to fall asleep and let people succumb to the hand of the enemy? Only the devil can make us believe something like that. But the reality is this, if we don't want to run this race for no reason, spend this, all this time going to church and reading your Bible, getting up early, praying and doing all this uh, in the end of the day, religious routines for nothing, we better put God at the forefront and continue to evaluate those things that Paul says so easily beset us, those weights. You know, the rapture, if you look at the, the description most people give, it's someone being pulled, spiritually pulled off the earth. It's almost like when you watch the, the movie Star Trek, when they beam you up, or when some alien movie they've made shows these people getting zapped up into space or into the spaceship. The gospel talks about the rescue, and many people believe it's going to be similar to what the world is trying to display through their movies. But Christians, there are going to be some Christians out there, there going to be a lot of Christians who are not going to be able to get picked up, beamed up, raptured up, because they're going to have all these weights of the world holding them down, these cares and concerns, and be left here suffering. And, event, and sadly, some will, many will stand before him and he'll say, I never knew you. You worker of iniquity. And, and as a, a worker of iniquity, it's not someone who just deliberately went out and did absolute evil. That's all they did. Because when Christ told them that they're workers of iniquity, before he said this, they said, didn't we do all these things in your name, cast out demons, perform signs and wonders in your name? They were able to do it, but he, they never knew him because they didn't stop practicing wickedness. The word that's in the Bible was never implanted into their soul. If you look at the word new in the Bible, as it referenced to the, as, as Christ referenced these individuals who come to him, this many that will come to him, he's talking about new you in the form of a relationship, a marital relationship. How if you look at when Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, she said, how can this be when she never knew a man, meaning she never had intercourse with the man? And Christ is saying he never knew these people because his word never truly planted inside of them, took root as that seed that fell among good soil and grew up into a tree of righteousness producing fruit. It's not enough to say we believe. It's not enough to say I have this awesome church ministry or I'm out here feeding the homeless or out handing out blankets or dealing with the youth. Does his word have a root and is it growing up and are we producing fruit? If not, we're going to run in vain.
And we have to separate ourselves from things and people that are not consistent with the word of God. And Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says, what do I have to do with judging them on the outside? He's, he's talking about the world. He said, judge not them that are within. So we're supposed to judge those that are inside the faith. So those people who don't live sexual, the people who don't live morally, who do what they that want to do, who consider themselves to be of the faith, but they live inconsistent with the Bible, we're supposed to separate ourselves from those people. And that is the, that is the scripture. If you look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse uh, 9 through 13, it talks about this. The reason being is because Paul said, make no mistake, bad company corrupts good character. Your morals can be destroyed because you're hanging out with somebody, you're associated with somebody who say they believe, but yet they don't live as such. This walk is a is a tight walk. It's a narrow walk. It's not supposed to be comfortable. It's not supposed to make you feel good. You show up for church and you go up in there feeling good and you there's no conviction inside of you, then you're at the wrong place. Christ didn't speak to anybody when he told these parables to make people feel good. Every last one of them was a separation that existed. The tares and the wheats, the wise and the foolish versions, the the one who did something with his talent and the one who did not. There was always a separation between people who all knew the master, the bridegroom, the king, and these different leaders or people who resembled the Messiah and the Heavenly Father. So we have that opportunity to choose who we want. And if we're taking the time to read the Bible or to go to church in this season of a complete unholiness and unrighteousness, then there's a, there's a conviction inside of us, but that conviction needs to go into action. We need to put it into practice. So it's showing that we're practicing righteousness. He didn't say those who were completely righteous. He said those who practice righteousness. So I just want to share that to encourage us to continue to stay the course, to walk circumspectly. As I said before, the enemy is doing a phenomenal job deceiving people who say they believe in Christ. I can't tell you how many people argue with me about the politics and how Christians are supposed to be involved, but yet there is nothing that will support that. In fact, the life of the Apostle Paul, Peter, Christ, and all those who, who established the foundation of the church and the faith show complete complete opposite of what people believe. And we're living in a time now where Christians will do everything they can to find scripture that supports what they want to do rather than support them walking with Christ 100%, denying this world, walking after the spirit. So let's walk according to the gospel, the truth. Let's not try to make provisions for the flesh. This is deception that the enemy does that he used all the way back in the Garden of Eden. He gave, he saw what was gratifying to Eve and he talked to her about it and he led her down a path to where humanity has fallen. That same scam he did in the garden, he's doing today. God's people, they were God's people, Adam and Eve, and they fell for, they fell for the lie. And sadly, that is, you know, that is the story that's continuing to be repeated. So again, it is the Holy Ghost. It is the Holy Spirit. God knows that we cannot obey him without him. So he sent the comforter, the enabler, the educator to show us to walk, how to walk and how to do his will. 
So we can hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joys of your master. Dearly Father, we thank you for keeping us. We thank you for your gospel, the truth, the word, the power that you've given us to walk circumspectly with the Holy Spirit. We know that the enemy is defeated in every way, shape, fashion, and form. We know that no weapon formed against us shall prosper because we are your servants and we inherit this blessing. We thank you knowing that the enemy is defeated. We thank you knowing that when this race is over, we will stand before you and we will hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We give you the glory and the honor both now and forever. In your name, Christ, Yerusha, we pray. Amen.